electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, and this is Squawk Pod. The New York Times suing OpenAI and Microsoft for copyright infringement. Tech investor Bradley Tusk says AI's a big threat to the news biz. OpenAI breaks through the paywalls because they're just taking all the content and synthesizing it for me. And youth sports is a huge market. Who knew? Parents. Private equity is getting a piece, and media executive turned kids sports streamer Ben Sherwood says tech innovation in the field is welcome. Youth sports in one app making it easy for a coach, for a parent, for an organizer, simplifying the whole process. And as you know, it's chaos out there. Plus, the best of Squawk's holiday season. An interview from the slopes of Colorado with Vail Resort CEO Kirsten Lynch. She's setting her sights and skis on international mountains. Vail or Breckenridge, or Whistler Blackcomb, Park City, uh, and even now in Europe. There are almost three times the number of skier visits in Europe as there are in North America. It's Thursday, December 28th. Squawk Pod begins right now. First up today on the podcast, all the news that's fit to print versus artificial intelligence. The New York Times has filed suit against Microsoft and OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, accusing them of abusing the newspaper's intellectual property. The Times claims the company's created a business model built on mass copyright infringement. The ChatGPT product is trained on existing news writing and reporting. OpenAI has responded, telling CNBC, quote, We respect the rights of content creators and owners and are committed to working with them to ensure they benefit from AI technology and new revenue models. We are surprised and disappointed with this development. Microsoft has yet to comment on the suit. We dove into this headline today on Squawk Box's TV broadcast with Leslie Picker, Michael Santoli, and Brian Sullivan. Leslie kicks things off. A lot of people are talking about this as kind of a watershed moment on what it means for just the ubiquity of content on the Internet, how it feeds into ma- language massive, models. It's a massive lawsuit. Yeah. It's going, going to be a big deal. A precedent-setting lawsuit is what if I've the seen New some York Times, call it. If the New York Times were to win this lawsuit, assuming it goes to court and whatever, if the New York Times were to win this lawsuit, the implication could be that anything anybody has published on the Internet belongs to them. And that OpenAI and all these other AI companies that learn by scraping everything cannot do that without either compensating. Say you write a piece on CBC.com or you you tweet something, whatever it is. That's Michael Santoli's content. They cannot scrape it. They would owe Leslie Picker money. You cut off their ability to learn if this lawsuit is victorious. I think this is a massive AI moment. Cost of goods sold goes up pretty high for the AI chatbots. They have to be, you know, piecing out. Well, they could, you could never afford. You could never afford to pay everybody. No, no never. There's no way. There's two. And how would you identify where that where the AI scraped that information well, from? Well, I, I think it just upends the business model in its entirety because they do have a, a contract, a, a partnership 
with Axel Springer, which owns Business Insider and some other publications, uh, where there's kind of a, you know, an agreement there that they can use their websites in order to create these I language models. I thought News models. Corp was looking at that too, wasn't it? The Wall News Street Journal? Corp. And they say that they were, I mean, at least according to the statement from OpenAI and Mike, uh, they say that they are in discussions with the New York Times, so they were surprised that this was the development. So we don't know what those discussions right. entailed in terms well, of the, the a Times, potential contract. The, but that the could, Times wants to, I mean, listen, they want to get paid. You of know, course. People are, people are making fortunes. You know, it's like Facebook. They made fortunes making money off what you post and what you, they have no business. Right. Facebook's business is just what Leslie Picker and Mike Santoli post, and then they make them, why, why shouldn't we get paid for AI? All right. it's, I, I'd like to get paid. Everybody wants we'll to see. get paid. All right. Joining us now to talk about this and much more in the world of tech and regulation, tech investor Bradley Tusk. He's the CEO of Tusk Ventures. Uh, Bradley, good morning. Thanks for, uh, for coming on with us today. And, you know, we can go back to the early days of the Internet where the, where the kind of the profits were saying information wants to be free. And we've kind of gone through various iterations of what we pay for, what's behind a paywall, what's fair game. How do you see this playing out? Is it, is it crucial for an open AI to have sort of unfettered access to copyrighted material like this? Yeah, look, it's crucial for OpenAI's business model because ultimately, you know, they just take what's out there in the world and synthesize it for you in a really smart, creative way. Um, but it's it's not crucial for society that OpenAI be able to do that for free. Um, so it makes sense for the New York Times to say, look, we spend money to pay journalists and editors and graphic designers, and all these people to create this content. Um, if you're going to use our content for your economic benefit, we should be compensated. That's pretty reasonable. I guess the question then becomes, you know, what does it do to whatever ultimately the various business models are going to be for utilizing these large language models? If, in fact, they have to either come up with, uh, you know, revenue sharing deals, I suppose, or perhaps some kind of royalty scheme. Yeah, but that's that's not unreasonable, right? So, for example, take take Google, right? We look at the ability to search stuff on Google as sort of an inviolate constitutional right at this point. But Google is one of the most profitable companies in the history of the world. Um, so whether they had to pay more money in the beginning uh, for content or they ended up paying less, either way, it wouldn't stop Google from being a wildly profitable company um, that people are going to use and people want to work at and invest in. And so we're really just talking about distribution uh, of the resources and of, of the money. And to a certain extent, whether it's all in the hands of ChatGPT and OpenAI and Microsoft, or some of it goes back to media outlets like The Times or CNBC or whoever else, um, I think that's and, and the idea that it's going to somehow deter the innovation of tech to me is really unreasonable, un unlikely and unreasonable. Well, I guess that would bring us to the question of why The Times felt the need to kind of you know, take these legal measures. It seems like based on what OpenAI is now saying, that there has been a back and forth negotiation uh, about coming to some commercial agreement here. Yeah, I mean, clearly the Times did not find the conversations as productive and constructive as OpenAI did based on the lawsuit and then OpenAI's quote. Um, but also, I, I think the timing is important here, right? And, you know, when search first started, People didn't understand what it was going to be, um, and Google was able to build, and the other search engines too, but especially Google, um, such a great public image, you know, be, be so relied on by the public that by the time that the publisher started suing, you know, yes, they'd been able to recover a little bit of money here and there, but basically it was too late. So I think a lot of this is timing, which is the Times recognizes that ChatGPT and AI generally is not something the public is that used to yet. 
So before the, we we sort of just sort of intuit, this is our right to use this at all times, no matter what. Um, I think the times is smart to say, let's get in there now and challenge some of these assumptions before the norms set in and it's too late. Bradley, what do you think it means for the media industry business model? Because I think about kind of the Google analogy that you shared and their response was very quickly, you know, put up a paywall. Maybe it was coinciding with the ubiquity of Google of Google. But here, a paywall doesn't seem like it would really work if they were scraping through this data and, and pulling the information regardless. So what does this mean for the media industry if there isn't any kind of partnership or some sort of royalty agreement reached with AI? What would they do? Yeah, it, look, it's a problem. We're seeing already the media industry contracting in all kinds of different ways. Uh, people have really struggled to figure out profitable models for media companies, the Times happens to be one of the few that has built a really successful online business of subscriptions and advertising, especially to some of their specialty products like wire cutter or cooking. Um, and I think that they're terrified because if, they, if that model no longer works, it's not really clear what will. Um, and so you're right. You know, it's one thing when there's a paywall, and if I want to read an article, I've got to pay the Times or whoever to, to use it. Um, but OpenAI breaks through the paywalls because they're just taking all the content and synthesizing it for me. And so I don't need to read the original. Yeah, and of course, the Times went to the trouble of digitizing its entire, you know, 150-year uh, history of, uh, of, of content and, and, and therefore wants to have some return off. Although one aspect of the way the large language models work, or at least we presume they work, is it's just kind of grabbing things, you know, as it sees fit and sort of predicting the next word. We know the functionality, but it might be hard to really, I guess, isolate exactly what one piece of, you know, content produced by uh, chat GPT, where it came from. So I guess you just have to have, you know, some kind of payment for, for, for access to the entire, uh, the entire store of content. I mean, that sounds better to me than the alternative, which would be some sort of regulation saying, okay, you can only use X percent from each particular source, um, and then you're trying to govern and parcel out, you know, did this come from CNBC or did this come from the Times or from the Washington Post? Um, and that's sort of a mess immediately. If they aren't able to reach something here, I think it's feasible that you could see legislators introduce bills like that, especially because they want to curry favor with outlets like the New York Times. Um, but that seems like a much worse solution. Yeah, and and pretty pretty difficult to uh, to sort out. Uh, Bradley, appreciate your thoughts uh, on this today. Bradley, hey, thanks for having me. The Apple Watch may be not so banned and could soon be available in stores. An appeals court paused the recent ban on Apple's sales of two of its latest model watches. This is part of an ongoing intellectual property dispute over the oxygen sensors in the watch. But this is only part of the bigger picture for Apple and shares of its stock. Sales for the tech giant have declined this year, but the stock is soaring. Here's Mike Santoli. How can Apple get back to growth in 2024? Or can it? Our Steve Kovac joins us now with that. Hey, Steve. Yeah, Mike, it's the biggest question for Apple in 2024. Can it finally return to growth following those four straight quarters in a row of declining sales? And on top of that, Apple said to expect flat sales for the current December quarter. Despite that, though, Apple shares up about 48% this year. Now, there's some good news and bad news as they try to return to growth. Let's start with the bad news. Headwinds and where else? China, of course. 
course, Huawei returning back to the smartphone game after years of not putting out new phones. And there's some evidence that we're seeing people switch over from iPhone to Android again because of that. Also, online gaming crackdown from the government. We've been talking about that for the last week or so. That can impact the App Store, too. And, of course, just the overall slow economic recovery over there. Now in the U.S. and other Western markets, the Apple Watch ban still being worked out despite the reprieve yesterday. You can actually go buy one right now, but who knows how long that's going to last. And services growth, the high margin business, it is up 60% in the September quarter. So signs that is reaccelerating. That can help things out too. And also some early signals right now after the holiday season that PC and phone demand have bottomed out and maybe we'll see some buying again of those consumer electronics. What Here's what's not going to move the needle, guys. The new Vision Pro headset. It's going to be a small launch in the U.S. At first, people are predicting about 500,000 units. It's not a mass market device, so not going to move the needle. More like an experiment for the future here. So it's going to be a tough one. For The comps will get easier because of last year, just such a down year, and some wonkiness with the calendar. But it's going to be tough for them to grow. It is amazing because the, the sort of basic keep it simple bull case for Apple has almost nothing to do with the sales growth or even earnings growth. It's kind of like, well, Warren Buffett owns 6%. Right, He's right. not selling any. The company reduced its share count by 6% in the last two years. The balance sheet impenetrable. It's great. Yeah. And, and it's sort of like the predictability premium is very high. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's no longer a growthy stock like it used to be. And it's it's like IBM, uh, you know, used to be. Although, so I'll tell you what, I'll give you the growth story on Apple. What do you think sure. about this, Steve? The services business. Yeah. Every time I start talking, they get in my ear and go, there's not much time. <laughs> you know, it's that? only you. It's only me. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. There's literally no news. We can just talk all. Anyway, you're going to talk the, about subscriptions. The services business. I'm spending like $60 a month on Apple now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's a huge thing. They always point to that saying we have, I forget the number, but hundreds of millions of subscriptions. They get a cut of every one of those, even if it's a third party like Disney Plus or something. So you're helping them out. Well, I'm doing my part. Yeah, yeah. You can turn it off. You know that, right? It's easy. One button. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, Kid Sports, with media executive turned founder of youth sports live streamer Mojo, Ben Sherwood, who once ran ABC Television. Every weekend is Super Bowl weekend in youth sports, as you know, the intensity, the passion. And so with the TeamSnap app, with Mojo technology, you've got this sort of combination where you've got streaming, you've got player cards, you have one-touch coaching. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. This next conversation is about tapping into a surprising market. It's the world of youth sports. We're talking young, about five to 15 years old. If you have kids in your life, you know it's a busy, expensive world. The Aspen Institute put out a report in 2022. The average American family spends around $880 per child per sport every year between fees, equipment, travel, and instruction. The industry is a 30 to $40 billion market, and private equity wants in. Investing giant KKR already has a piece with a stake in PlayOn, the high school sports platform. And now WAD Capital, which owns youth sports management company TeamSnap, is deepening its own foothold. Here's Brian Sullivan with Mike Santoli and Leslie Picker with more on the youth sports playing field. The youth sports market expected to remain red hot next year. Youth sports management company Team Snap has acquired Mojo Sports, a live streaming platform serving 5 million families. The new partners are building a platform of an estimated $37.5 billion industry. Here now with more on the deal and the state of play in youth sports is Ben Sherwood, founder and CEO of Mojo and former multimedia executive, a big star in our industry. And Peter Fritzellas, he is the CEO of Team Staff. Peter and Ben, welcome. Good morning. 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 Uh, Thanks for having us. Peter, why buy? And Ben, why sell? Yeah, Brian, great question. Team Staff is the leading sport management platform in youth sports. We have over 25 million registered users. We have over 2 million people on platform daily using our technology to really simplify the chaos of youth sports. And we feel this acquisition of uh, Mojo and the, and the team at, uh, with Ben and, and the team really brings a new technology on the consumer side. This video streaming, it's engagement, it's partnerships with major professional leagues really to bring um, youth sports to that next level. And we feel like we're at that leadership position. It really, it, until you're in the world of youth sports, and I don't know if you're, you've been there, I know your kids are a little bit young, Ben, it's amazing what parents will do. We've got leagues that are on, basically on TV. I'm using air quotes, right? Because you want to watch your nine-year-old play Little League. You've got sports. These kids are getting ranked at eight years old in hockey and things like this. You built Mojo. I remember talking to you about it. You, I think you came on when you started it. Why sell? Timing's right. We did everything we wanted to do. We, I assume the money was right also. We, we sprinkled a little bit of Disney magic. You know, I came from Disney uh-huh. onto our app. Our team, led by Reed Schaffner, built an incredible consumer technology and an amazing subscription service. And then the question was, how do we scale? How do we get bigger? And with all of the trends in the market right now, youth sports is consolidating. There's lots of competition. We thought our best way was to do the thing we really wanted to do. We'd always looked up to TeamSnap. TeamSnap was always sort of the industry leader, the first mover, 25 million registered users, 2 million daily active users. We thought the fastest way to get into the most families' hands was to ride with TeamSnap where one plus one could equal four, and we could put our consumer technology and our subscription tools and that streaming that you talk about. Any family in America is going to be able to stream a game, a five-year-old game, a 10-year-old game, never miss a minute, get all your highlights. It's amazing. That's all coming soon with TeamSnap. It doesn't have to be on ESPN 8. <laughs> you know, and the idea, I guess, with TeamSnap is, let's say you're out there and you've got a, you, you run a travel Little League team, yep. right? And you have a local team, kids try out, they make the team. They go on a TeamSnap, they sign up either as a league, as a team, as a player, as a parent. And so what services do they get? on Team Snap. What am I getting for, for my money as a parent? Yeah, Brian, think of an entire technology platform to really simplify this chaos, right? You've got a business-to-business, more SaaS-oriented, kind of traditional back-end 
uh, office management for the businesses that are providing the programming of sport, right? These are the clubs, the leagues across the country. There's 150,000 small and medium-sized businesses that are really providing that program, providing the, the, the state of play. Um, and then you've got over 60 million young athletes across this country and the families that are a part of them that have to figure out which field to go to. How do they communicate with the team? Are they showing up at the right time? And so we want to focus on how do you help to delight those families while unifying the entire ecosystem. And so we introduce um, national brand partners into uh, the interface and into the experience so that those brands can also touch upon these families at the most emotional state of their week, right, which is when their kids are on the field, on the court, in the rink and an opportunity for them to really connect with those families at a, uh, a hyper-targeted community level. What we like to think of is every weekend is Super Bowl weekend in youth sports, as you know, the intensity, the passion. And so with the TeamSnap app, with Mojo Technology, you've got this sort of combination where you've got streaming, you've got player cards, you have one-touch coaching with videos that we made with the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer. It's basically youth sports in one app making it easy for a coach, for a parent, for an organizer, simplifying the whole process. And as you know, it's chaos out there and one technology. We, we always just thought there should be sort of one app that handled it all. That's what we put together. Does it carry uh, into the sort of college recruitment process? Because I know there are services like that where the college coaches are able to, to watch and monitor players. and things. Like so that. we've been focused on sort of the, the largest pool of athletes on earth. There's about 500 million of them worldwide. They're kids between the ages of four and 13. They haven't been identified necessarily for the Olympics. They don't have pro contracts yet, but they are passionate. Most of these kids will drop out by the age of 13, and our goal is to get more of them to keep playing longer. So the core focus has been four to 13. Once you get into the high school level, Pete, jump in. Once you get into high school, it becomes a whole different game. There's analytics. There's lots of video analysis and there's a whole industry that caters to sort of that high school and college level. Yeah, you're starting to see high school operate similar to professional collegiate leagues, right? The amount of investment that's going into on the technology side into pro sports, into collegiate sports, now coming downstream into high school and then further downstream into youth sports. And we feel like we have that distribution channel to be able to bring that investment. You speak in my world as, you know, my, 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 one of my kids was a recruited D1 athlete, yeah. but I, but I, uh, so I spent a lot of time in, in this world and it is confusing. And I felt like there were some scams out there, too. You know, there's people promising this or promising that. I spent a lot of time on max preps. Yes. Is that, I, I don't think it's we sort of well. a semi-competitor to you guys. No. Semi-competitor. Yep, part of CBS. So I assume you're looking for more consolidation, Pete, right? I mean, is this just, like, how many things are there to roll up that currently Look, exist? Look, there are synergistic adjacent markets across all youth sports. When you start to think about commerce, when you start to think about apparel, travel, facility management, think about the entire ecosystem, the different vendors, service providers, partners that you've dealt with as your children have come up. We feel like we sit here in an opportunity holding on to the distribution power and the buying power with the two million plus uh, daily active users that we have to continue to introduce more of those services in. And we want to simplify that experience, right? Because you shouldn't have to go to five, six, seven different technologies, partners, service providers in order to get what your kids need for sport. We want to bring that into a centralized platform and, on TeamSnap. And as an old Disney guy, I think about it as a brand and the experience. We want to blow families away with technology, with video, with experiences that surprise and delight them, that help them make memories for a lifetime and they yeah. never miss a season. Can, ben, can I ask you a softball before you go? Yeah. Is Apple going to buy ESPN? 
<laughs> you think I knew I would stay right well, here? If you had to guess, I mean, would there be value there? I, I left the, the media business and traditional television in 2019. Probably at exactly the right time. <laughs> I've been in the green fields of youth sports, and, and there is, let's just say there's going to be a lot of interesting opportunities in youth sports in the next few years uh, for companies, even in the traditional media space, to take a look at what's going on. Big subscription businesses reaching millions and millions of families, uh, the most desirable demographic for advertisers. So I think... I think it's ESPN those, Mini. We'll just create a whole channel devoted to little kids playing sports. Now right? you're talking. Or little with ESPN, the E. I'm just spitballing. Biggest distribution channel, right? You got 60 million families that are that, that will sports. watch you're, every painful minute of your when your kid or, but, is or a nine 60 second and highlight go, film. Or, there you right go. Afterwards, right. Well, so you you it, have your ability to introduce a when sponsor your kid is and nine and right it's after. the first kid pitch little league game. There is no highlight reel. Ball, 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 walk, ball, 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 walk, ball. Different, different problem. <laughs> well, congratulations, guys. Thanks, ben, Mark. good thank to you. see you, Pete. Good. Ryan, thanks. Look for uh, team snaps growth. Yeah. Thank you. We're on the trajectory. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Next on Squawk Pod, skiers and shredders. You might already be set up with your mountain pass this season, but if you're late, Vail Resort CEO Kirsten Lynch says it's not too late if you shell out. If you are willing to commit to us in advance, you get the best deal and a great discount off of those lift ticket prices. So you can walk up and pay full price at the window. You can buy a few days out in advance and get a discount. And you can pre-commit in a season pass and get an incredible value. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. You're listening to Squawk Pod. It's officially ski season, especially this week. Some of you might be listening to this podcast from the slopes or Opre, perhaps. So Joe Kernan and Becky Quick checked in on one ski resort giant just the week before Christmas. Winter officially begins this week. Our next guest runs Vail Resorts, which owns and operates more than 40 ski resorts across the globe. Company currently on an acquisition spree last month. It added another Swiss property to its portfolio. It's a resort about two hours from Geneva, and it says here five hours from Davos. Just in case uh, we're thinking about that, because we're, we're going to joining us now is Kirsten Lynch, and I, I remember it's all coming back to me, Kirsten. I tried to figure out wh- what you did in life, and what, what do you attribute? The, the luck of ending up as the CEO of, of, of Vail. It's like, that's like top 1% of, of, of not, not just occupations, but just CEOs, isn't it? What, what, was it in the stars? Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. I do feel very fortunate to be leading this amazing company. I'm passionate about our mission and what we're trying to do as a company. So, yes, it does feel like a dream job some days. And we're going to get to the business of all this. But, you know, I do need to ask you, 
how it is right now. What's, what's the base right now? How has it been? been? There's been some big storms already, have there not? Yeah, you know, the weather is always uh, variable by geography, but I think we're set up for a great season. We have the back bowls at Vail just opened, which is huge news for our guests. Also, we have over 2 million guests pre-committed in a season pass for this upcoming season across our 41 ski resorts. And staffing is really important to us. Our frontline staff are critical to delivering the guest experience, and we're in a great position on staffing as well. It's, um, there might be individual mountains that it might maybe people like more, but in terms just across the board, diversity, size, bachelor, everything yeah. that you have, Vale is, is maybe the greatest place to go, right? <laughs> Vail is pretty amazing, and because we have such geographic diversity, I mean, the way our network is set up is we've got local ski areas connected to major metropolitan markets, regional ski areas, and then the big destination resorts like Vail or Breckenridge or Whistler Blackcomb, Park City, uh, and even now in Europe. Yeah, and you've got Copper and A-Basin and... Well, everybody's uh, right, around, right around there and two hours from, two and a half hours from Boulder or, or Denver. And not like, you can't get to Aspen from here. You, just, you can't get there. Tell your ride, it's almost yeah, impossible very, to, to get Crested Butte, impossible. Yeah. We don't own A Basin and Copper, but we do no, have five ski right resorts in, in Colorado. Right there in yeah, Summit very County. Very convenient. Yeah, right there in Summit, yes. in Summit County. That's, that's what I was, I, didn't, I wasn't implying that, that you know, but you are growing through is, is that what, the way you have to do it uh, through acquisitions and through expansions, whether it's in this country or, or even abroad, internationally? It is one of our key strategies for growth is through acquisition. And Europe we view as a big opportunity. There are almost three times the number of skier visits in Europe as there are in North America. So that's a big market of skiers and also a lot of ski resorts. And we have a new resort, Andermont Sardrun, in, in uh, Switzerland. And just recently, as you noted, we announced another acquisition in Switzerland with Kran Montana, which we're incredibly excited about. You need to upgrade the facilities over there in Switzerland. I'm just uh, right, Becky, not for nothing, but... Uh... <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you go to, to Vail, you can get a nice place in Vail. You can, you know, there's a, there, yeah. there's a Ritz Carlton in, in Bachelor Gulch, you know. You can get, I, I would not say the same about a lot of places uh, in Dallas. Let me ask you, uh, Kirsten, about the golf course and, and summer activities, because I don't know if you're doing a good enough job uh, letting people know what the weather is like in Vail uh, in the summer. Oh, it, and the weather in the mountains uh, in the summer is incredible. There are so many visitors that are coming in the summer and enjoying the activities in town, but also golf courses, as you noted, but also getting up on the mountain, hiking, mountain biking. We have other activities up on the mountain. So it really has become that these mountains are year-round uh, destinations for people. It's expensive. What, what's a lift ticket? Now I'm, I'm afraid to even ask um, in, in peak season. Well, lift tickets can be expensive. I agree with you. And it varies by resort that we have. But I, I would think about it this way. We have lots of choices and options. 
And, you know, not dissimilar to the airline industry, if you walk up the day of to buy a ticket during peak season, you're going to pay the highest price. The way we've structured it, though, Joe, is that if you are willing to commit to us in advance, you get the best deal and a great discount off of those lift ticket prices. So you can walk up and pay full price at the window. You can buy a few days out in advance and get a discount, and you can pre-commit in a season pass and get an incredible value. And that's really what we're trying to do. More than 75% of our visits now are pre-committed in a pass. Kirsten, Becky's husband is a knuckle-dragging shredder <laughs> that makes noise and comes bearing down on you, and, and he doesn't apologize wow. for it. He doesn't, uh, does he, Becky? <laughs> oh, he's, he's very careful. He stays out of the way of the skis. But he doesn't apologize for, for, for being, being a shredder. For being a snowboarder? No. Yes. No. No. You, you, you welcome those, those types? Honestly, Kristen, with the, you've got to be so far past the point where you don't welcome snowboarders. That's uh, like we've Some passed the popularity. Uh, I, I know there's a parts few, of Utah. Yeah, a few places in Utah that still the hold them places. out. One of the Deer Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Kirsten, yes, you we welcome work? snowboarders. Yeah, we welcome skiers, snowboarders, and actually, and Becky's husband. <laughs> and we <laughs> actually want to be welcoming and inclusive to everyone, whether oh, um, you're a God. beginner, an expert, uh, persons with disabilities. We are uh, welcoming and inclusive. And it's, it's critical to the future of the sport that we are. Agree. DEI. I see it's <laughs> everywhere. It's, it, it's, it's everywhere. I don't. I discriminate against those. Shredders. They're, they're loud. Becky, they're, they're... your husband's welcome at our resorts. <laughs> he will uh, be happy to hear that. He may be headed to one later this is year. Is Kyle boarding now, too? Or is no, Kyle he... skis. He does ski. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks for playing along, uh, Kirsten. Good luck. Like I said, we, we were envious. Everybody wants to be you, but um, keep but us updated. Not... Yeah. <laughs> what's, the, what's the forecast? Snow today, tomorrow, the next day? We're going to have a great season. And uh, I look forward to hopefully seeing both of you on the slopes. Okay. Thank you. We'll see. <laughs> Thank worried about the, worried about the knees. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And get the best of our show when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.